This is kind of a unique and novel thing that we're going to do a week from Friday. We're doing a midnight service right here in this room. Uh, not this Friday, but a week from Friday. And we're going to gather in here at midnight, and we are going to invade the midnight hour, the darkest hour of the night, and declare that we are the light, Jesus is in the light, Jesus is the light, and we are going to invade darkness and depression and conquer in Jesus' name. So it's going to be a great time of gathering, and um, I've actually started getting messages from people who are seeing these posts uh, in other countries now that are taken by the idea. So post it on all your social media and invite friends and family out, and uh, we'll just stay up late and have a great time, or get up early, whichever is your, your mode. So. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, it's a good day. It's a very, very good day, and um, excited to continue in this. We're, we're in about a month. We're going to do a little bit of a focus just for three weeks that I felt the Lord was speaking to me. So, just an idea that uh, it's kind of germinating still, but we're going to take three weeks because of the great capital I am. Little I live. Because of the great capital I am, little I live. And because I live, I love, I serve, I give. So we're going to take three weeks and talk about I love, I serve, I give. And it'll be a little bit of a break between our pursuit and the books. But it's just something I felt this week the Lord was stirring, began to talk with some of our team about it. We felt it was right. So you'll hear some more about that as we progress along. And uh, today we're going to dive right into First Kings. And what we're doing is discovering where Jesus is in every book of the Bible. He is in every book of the Bible. He said so. He told the Pharisees in John chapter 5, the scripture points to me. The New Testament hadn't been written. So obviously he's referencing the Old Testament. And all of the Bible speaks of Jesus. So what we do as a church is we believe God's word is truth. And we believe God's son is king. And so we constantly come back to truth and constantly come back to Jesus, our king, that we might become more of what he's called us to be and designed us to be. And so this has been interesting just seeing where Jesus is in each book. We're progressing along in 1 Kings today. And um, I will just kind of tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some histor historical context. You know, whenever we're doing this, I want to try to empower you to be studiers of the word, to be readers of your Bible. That's why we're doing uh, the Turn the Page Challenge this year for guests that are here. You might not realize, but we take old leather Bibles and start in the book of Genesis. And every day we put the date at the top of the page and turn the page. And we're doing that just to get a better understanding of what God wants to reveal through his word. And what I'm doing, uh, each book is now online, and you can go on there when you're in a book and see kind of the history and context. Not everybody's all into the history of, and I'm going to walk through a little bit of that with you today in 1 Kings, and then there's a specific word I want to bring. But, um, but let's walk this out together. And the first thing I want to point out is just a few places where Jesus is revealed very specifically by what would be called a type of Christ. You find a person in the Bible, and you start to see how that person expresses Jesus is coming one day. And so the book of Kings is like this 400-year expression of kings, and we're going to see that. But it's interesting because it begins with the death of David. And, and we see David, of course, is in many ways a type 
of Christ, and we see that in his life, but here we see that in his death, because his legacy continues after he dies, having empowered his son to build the temple, just as when Jesus died, his legacy continued, having empowered the sons and daughters of God to build the heavenly temple, the expression of God's kingdom in the earth. So an amazing type we see in that regard. We see uh, Solomon then steps into reign, and it's an interesting progression of how Solomon takes the temple. His older brother actually uh, was in line according to birth order, but Solomon becomes the king, and he's a part of the, he's the expression of the lineage of the Messiah that would come. Now, who is the wisest man in the history of the world? Pondering. It's like, you know, I mean, it's like I start talking about Solomon and ask that question. So the obvious is it's not Solomon, even though that's what a lot of people would say, because he was a very wise man. But the answer is Jesus. And, you know, we don't necessarily frame him in with that conclusion in general. Obviously, you know, great guy, savior, but we don't necessarily see the vast wisdom that he expressed in the earth unless you really study this out. So let's just uh, take an analogy here. We'll say, uh, Kyle, Kyle, how you doing today? Awesome. Kyle's a smart guy, wise beyond his years. He's only like, what, how old, 18, 19-ish, uh, give or take a few decades. And so here's Kyle. And we, uh, we invite Kyle, and we say, Kyle, we want you to take a stand on the realities of God and the truth of his word. And so we're going to take you, Kyle, to an Ivy League university in our modern day times where somebody has graduated the school of religion, now gone out, proven themselves, has a following of young, eager learners and many students know this professor now that's returned to this Ivy League University in the realm and in the study of religion. How many of you believe that in an, any Ivy League University, the, uh, the, the theological and conclusion, you know, anybody that's like over the Department of Religion, they probably have some very liberal viewpoints, very varying viewpoints to what we may want to conclude in many of those instances. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put Kyle up against the best of the best at any Ivy League university with all of his following, and they're going to be talking all kinds of, of religion questions and all the following surrounding, and Kyle is going to be so brilliant, amazingly brilliant, he's going to be so brilliant that he's going to come to conclusions that are going to stump the entire crowd. They're going to stand there speechless on multiple occasions. How many of you think that is one smart guy? Let's hear it for Kyle. Come on, let's hear it. Kyle, Woo! That's what Jesus did. I just brought that into a modern-day expression, but you understand, he, like, he just tied their hands behind their back and left them speechless on many occasions because Jesus is truly the wisest, smartest, most intelligent, phenomenal thinker uh, in the history of the world. And I have a lot of really great evidence about his debate and argument style that I've personally researched and hopefully will tie into a message uh, coming because I love that type of thing. But Solomon is this incredible type of Christ. Solomon built the temple. Jesus built the spiritual temple. Uh, and then in Jesus' day, they actually, some said his, that he was actually Elijah. And Elijah is an amazing shadow and type of Christ, the foreshadow uh, and type of Christ. And I'll give you something. I'm not going to talk out of 1 Kings chapter 18 
But I am going to give you a couple of ideas, and I think you'll be interested to look into this, particularly if you like the teaching style of information. But what I'm just going to blaze through here on some insights, I've blogged on the destinychristian.com blog, and there's a whole lot of this, and I, you know, I, don't, I couldn't bring all this into 30 minutes of conversation together. Uh, and so I'm just trying to expand some things and put that out there and available for anybody that wants to really study deeper. <laughs> but here's the thing. First Kings 18, Elijah is standing on Mark, um, Mount Carmel. And here he's standing on this mountain fighting against all of these religious zealots that are prophets of Baal. And they are very, uh, very zealous for what they believe. And, and right up front, I just want to say, this speaks of the battle that, would, that Jesus would come and, and declare victoriously, seemingly incapable of defeating all of the, the kingdom of darkness. But yet, you know, who's this Jesus from Nazareth? And, and he came and just defeated every... I mean, there's no enemy coming against you that Jesus, Jesus hasn't already absolutely, utterly, totally defeated. That is great news. There's no force coming against you that can compare to the power of God that is at work within you. Jesus is alive, and he's in you today declaring you are victorious. It's amazing. And so here's Elijah standing on this mountain, and he begins to fight spiritual battle and, and these incredibly spiritual people that are totally misguided because they don't understand the truth reflect the generation that you and I live in that will be there will be many incredibly spiritual people that are very misguided because they've deviated from the truth and you and I need to come back and you need to hear every speaker that ever graces this pulpit say over and over we believe God's word and we believe God's son and the Bible and Jesus are the unshakable declarations of truth upon which everything we say and do will stand, and we don't believe the Bible's figurative and analogy and illustration. We believe the Bible is literally God's word to humanity. Now, we all need to celebrate that every time that's ever said, because you do understand in the movement of our generation right now in our culture, that is increasingly becoming more of a question. So the Bible is the immovable and unshakable standard of God's word, and Jesus is who he says he is. And so I, I just said it, so let's celebrate it. Let's agree. Next generation is going to get it from us. They're going to get the truth. I'm sorry, I'm preaching. I'm not supposed to be preaching yet. I'm just supposed to be giving you some information. I got a little crazy there. Uh, back up. And so 1 Kings 18, here is Elijah. He's on the mountain. Here a few things. Elijah repairs the altar before he calls down the sacrifice. Jesus repaired the altar and, and restored humanity. Elijah did something interesting. All this wood is there, and he called for a bull. He didn't call for a bird or a goat. It's the ultimate sacrifice of his day that could be put on the wood, just as Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And around that altar, there's this trench. Do you remember the trench that existed there? and that trench is a separation between the altar and humanity and the world and, and there was this, this, this separation between the altar and humanity and only Jesus could come and, and, and bridge that gap and, and Elijah did something so profound he said pour water on the sacrifice you remember this? They, they actually did it three times he called for them to pour water three times and Jesus was in the grave three days and then that water filled the trench just as Jesus, after three days, bridged the gap between the altar of God and all humanity. He's the Savior of the world. And this was the declaration that was going on. We see this in 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's profound. And I encourage you, go in and study that, look into that further. But that's not what I'm preaching about. 
So 1 Kings deals, you know, we, we begin with the death of David, and, and then it concludes with the death of this wicked king named Ahab. Anybody hear about Ahab? The Ahab, the Arab. Anybody know that song? I'll spare you. And so you know, it concludes with Ahab dying, and, and it's interesting progression of all this. Solomon becomes king there in the beginning. Those are the glory days for Israel, like very little opposition, very little battles, a lot of advancement, a lot of expansion. And after Solomon's death, something interesting happens, and you might not even realize this, but you kind of hear Judah and Israel, Judah and Israel. You know, I was reading for years as a Christian, and I would read the king of Judah and the king of Israel, and I'm thinking, what happened? I mean, why is there Judah and Israel? I thought it was Israel, right? And so after Solomon, division happens, and, and you can read about this, but what you'll see, the kings of Israel, this division and divide happens, and Israel and Judah branch off. It's, it's like the church split of all times, back in the history of the beginning of the church. And so you got the Israel progressing along, and Jesus is the lion of the tribe of? Judah. And so he's on this side of the lineage. And what you'll see from all these kings, and we're going to talk about this next week as we commission teachers uh, for this year of school. I know some schools have already gone back in session. We're all trying to figure out, are we going year-round or whatever. Uh, but anyway, we're going to commission teachers and talk about how kings that obey, they had the principles and the blessing of God that were awakened within them, and kings that disobeyed, they suffered great consequences. How many of you in your life have experienced where you have obeyed and enjoyed God's blessing, and you've disobeyed and suffered the consequences? Can I just see your hand? Yes, we understand what that is. And so what you'll see is you evaluate these kings, and you read on your own, the kings of Israel primarily are guys that were inclined in the wrong direction. A lot of bad kings on that side. Not all of them, but there are a lot of bad kings on that side missing out on what God had really in store. And the kings on Judah's lineage, they're inclined in the right direction. So it's just kind of an interesting comparison as you progress along. And where we want to land today is having uh, King Ahab made some really bad decisions, neglecting God, and he's now uh, suffering the consequences of his disobedience and this terrible drought has come. It's like Oklahoma hot for a very long time, no rain. And so, you know, they're, here they are and they're, they're in this, this place where there's no rain and Ahab is suffering and people are suffering, society is suffering and God takes Elijah, 1 Kings 17, takes him to this brook. And I just want to say today, I felt the Lord was speaking this as I start to move into what I really want to give you. What I really feel like the Lord wants us to have, I should say. Even when, diff when times are difficult, God was taking care of Elijah. Even, I mean, everybody's in drought, and God directs him to the brook, and, and he stays at this brook, and he's like fed by ravens. I mean, how cool is that? Except those are unclean animals, and that's a whole other declaration of how when Jesus comes, the Gentiles and the Jews will be drawn together. It's amazing when we see all this in Scripture. But here's Elijah, and he's taken care of. And I just want to say to you, maybe there are drought circumstances that have happened in your life, and I want to declare today, God's going to take care of you. I want you to hear me say it. I want you to hear me say it in a way that you're going to receive this in your life and let it clothe you for encouragement today because we're beaten down enough. We need to be encouraged. God's going to take care of you. He's, all, he's at work. He's at work in your situation. And so this horrible drought has happened, and I love this. I don't think it's on any of your notes, but write down Psalm 32, 4. I'll give you some verses today that... I got inspired yesterday, I'm sorry, and I started adding stuff. But uh, Psalms 30, 34 talks about, David talks about, you know, when I hid my sin from God 
and it felt like the heat of summer had sapped my strength. I mean, it's an incredible verse. I think of it a lot when I am, you know, walking out in the hot summer days. And when I hide my sin from God, it's as if I'm in the hottest day you could imagine, and my strength is just sapped. Let me just say, you are not designed to carry guilt that saps your strength and diminishes your energy and decreases your propensity to become what God has called you to be. Hiding your sin doesn't keep God from knowing it. It just keeps you from being free. And that was my whole focus last week. And I just want to say, be free, be alive, be awakened, be empowered, be the people God's called you to be. May we all take a step forward in becoming more of that today. Here's the key phrase. Write this on your, your, your page if you would. I love to say this statement often. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. Going to really focus on this next week with all the kings making decisions, but it's utterly the, the case. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. If we do not frame our lives according to the truth of our Creator who designed us and prepared us and equipped us to walk within the instruction of Scripture, then life is very problematic. Let me just tell you that adultery is something that will create problems in your life. How many of you believe that? Adultery, I would just tell you right now that adultery would create problem in my life. I'm married to a lawyer. That would be very dumb on a number of levels, okay? But adultery would, would create all kinds of I hear a witness from her right over here. And so adultery will cause you problems. Now, you can learn that because the Bible says it, and you, you know, avoid that. You're accountable to people, and you, you, you do whatever you have to do to stay away from what the Bible says don't do. Or you can go down that road and learn it the hard way. You learn by instruction or you learn by correction. But biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. I prefer to learn by instruction. How about you? Now this is amazing because what we're going to do is step into a little bit of an understanding of that same concept, how awesome God is. He wants to help us in advance. He doesn't want us to get all messed up. It's so much easier to train a child than repair an adult. But even God can repair an adult. And, and when we look at this, God's constantly trying to help us be you know, free from the stuff that, that really will destroy our lives. And so even this, I thought about how I, man, you know, anyone here ever made a right turn on red and it said don't turn right on Has anyone ever done that? Anyone ever got a ticket for that? Okay. Like, let me just, let me just tell you, you learn by instruction, the signs said, all four signs in this particular intersection said don't turn right on red. Um, but, you know, I was so compelled to do so. I'll give you all my reasons. I'll spare you my, my, my justification of all my sinful behaviors. But, but I, I went ahead and I turned right, and I learned like 200 plus dollars later. Um, you know, and, and so I got this ticket, and I, I actually went to court. And I thought, you know, I mean, it's an icy road, and we were going to state our case, and, and I, I know a good lawyer who doesn't do that type of law, but because we're married, she represented me in court. And so, like, I posted a picture of us. Here I am with my lawyer. And some dude, like, posts on there, man, your lawyer's fine. What's her phone number? I said, jerk. It's my wife. She. <laughs> so anyway, we go into court. And, and the judge, I, I don't know what her name is, but she reminded me of, like, Judge Judy with fangs. And she was very unkind and... <laughs> 
many ways, like really shredded me up, down, left, right, chew me up, spit me out. Are you stupid? You know, I mean, that time, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I was just, I couldn't, I was appalled. I thought to myself, who can I report a judge to for being inhumane? You know, I mean, I am a nice guy. And I mean, she just ripped me. And then, and then it was like, all right, you're going to go to driving school, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that. If we're going to weigh this, did you know there are four signs on that particular intersection? I said, yes, ma'am. And so, you know, she, all this, and then somebody in the court points out, oh, judge, they're looking at my records. He has a CDL. It all started over again. I mean, like, all the, rah, 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 rah. I mean, blood was just pouring off my jugular vein where she had shredded into me. And, I mean, it's, and she basically threw us out of court. She said, if you have a CDL, then you should be more responsible for that. Denied after all that pain. Here's the way it works in the world system. You do the crime. You get convicted. You either pay the fine or do the time. Right? So, so let's just say... Here's the crime, here's the conviction, and here's the time. How many of you think the world system is horrible? How many of you do not want to be convicted? Right? World system, I don't want to be convicted. I want to tell you something. Here's the crime. In the kingdom system, conviction has here. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. He's our helper. The Bible says he will remind us of the things that we've been taught. I mean, just in all honesty, total indictment on my knuckleheadedness, and yay, even amen, I am the greatest knucklehead of you all. I knew not to turn right. I saw the sign. I saw the other sign. I saw the other sign. Out of the mouth of four witnesses. And so there I was, and I, I, in my heart, I knew don't do this. How many of you know? It's like the conviction happened. Don't do this. And, and, and have you ever been convicted before and you just neglected it? The Holy Spirit is here to help us. He convicts us before the crime so that we never do the crime, so we never have to suffer the time because God is so awesome. How many of you know God's system is amazing? Here's the thing. We're living so far beneath this, but this, this is vital that we get this today because you and I should not just be navigating through circumstances like mere men and women. You are not a mere man, and you are not a mere woman. And Paul speaks to this. Again, don't think this is on there. You might just jot it down. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.3. It's a great verse of scripture. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, are you not acting like mere men? You know what he's saying? Are you not living your life like people that aren't spiritually awakened? Are you not living your life like somebody who doesn't know how to have a conversation with God? Are you not living your life in a way that's so far beneath the way you were designed because you got like God of the universe with the wisdom of all wisdom right there in your ear, prompting your heart, leading you by the Spirit, getting in the Word? Come on, we're victorious people who ought to rise up in this strength of God every single day that we live. That's just who we are. And then we read like in, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, and the Bible says, fix your eyes on that which is unseen. What does that mean? Fix your eyes on that. In other words, look at what you can't look at. See? 
I mean, is that bizarre to anybody? And then I read Jesus, and he said, you who have ears, hear. And I, and I thought, you know, is there some earless tribe of people walking through the town square? And so he's like, well, people without ears. But hey, those of you who have ears, that's not what's happening. You can have ears and not hear, and you can have eyes and not see. If you're a mere man or a mere woman, you have eyes and don't see. You have ears and don't hear. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have not been awakened to the kingdom purposes of God. And if you've been awakened, come on, let's live like it and let the Spirit of God lead us every day that we live. So the key in all of this is to be spiritually well. Then you are supernaturally empowered. How many of you want to hear the voice of God? Yes, we want to hear the voice of God. Guess what? You can hear the voice of God. Whether or not you're listening, it's all another thing. I've watched some people when I'm speaking. I mean, I'm pretty animated. It's kind of hard to go to sleep on me. I did have one guy go to sleep, and I actually ran in the other sanctuary, and there wasn't like a, you know, I could jump off easier. And I literally jumped on the chair, one leg over both you know, I was younger then and uh, a little crazy, but literally, uh, he's laying there asleep, and I start screaming, it's time for the church to wake up! The church has got to wake up! The church has got to... The poor guy had a heart attack. Uh, it was wild. But, I, you know, I've watched people kind of, they, they're with me, they're with me. They're... How many of you have done it before? I mean, not here, but somewhere else, right? Right, right, right. I mean, you're, you're hearing, but you're not listening. We hear announcements all the time, and we don't pay attention. You're listening to the radio, right? And all of a sudden, the announcement comes on. Win a free trip to Honolulu. Blah. <laughs> ears turn off. That's what Jesus is saying. You have ears here. You can have ears and not hear. You do hear the Holy Spirit, but you need to learn to listen and pay attention. That's why we get into the Word that's why we read the Bible. That's why we gather and worship. That's why we get under the anointing of fivefold ministry expression. There's something significant to this. Yes, we are the church. No, you can't go to church because we are the church, but we gather as the church to get the anointing of the church. And there's something about instruction, correction, direction of the body of Christ. And that's why it's so important that we truly devote ourselves to gathering and worship and the teaching of Scripture together. And we walk this out on our everyday, ongoing basis, and that's why I'm so thrilled about the Turn the Page. I'm sharing this everywhere I go, and Turn the Page is just like awakening people to understand I can actually read my Bible. I want to say hats off, uh, Chrissy and Tracy and Andrea, as they've been working with our girls' conference recently, and they got all the girls that attended that, these wide-margin Bibles, and it's like Faith Illustrated, I think is what it's called, or Illustrated Faith, and so you like read a portion of Scripture and think about it and then draw on your Bible, and so we got some pictures of that. I just wanted to show you. This is the group that met last week, and it grew actually from last week to this. But all those girls are like, you know, reading the Bible and talking about what they're journaling. I mean, this is like turn the page for the next generation. I just want to say that our next generation, men and women of God, the Bible says your sons and daughters, they will prophesy. Your sons and daughters, they will prophesy. Nobody's too young to be used by God here. We need to inspire them and empower them to be spiritually well so they'll be supernaturally empowered and become everything God's called them to be. Come on, rise up and be who God's called us to be, every single one of us. So here in this whole scenario, something powerful happens in Elijah's life. This drought has taken place. And now we're going to move right into this understanding. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. The, 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 
the drought's taking place. God's directed him to a, a brook. The brook is taking care of him. The ravens are feeding him. And, ah, oh, this verse got me. When I read this early on as a Christian, this verse got me. I underlined it a bunch. First Kings 17, 7 and 8. Sometime later, the brook dried up. Can, would you say that with me? The brook dried up. Isn't it awesome when you see God's provision in your life and like everything's going on and, and you know, I mean, it's like God's taking care and then the brook dries up. And, and look, verse 8, then the word of the Lord came. Then the word of the Lord came. The brook dried up, the circumstances changed, and then God gave a word. I would much rather get a word from God before the brook dries up so that I don't have to be sweating it. The brook dried up, and then God gave Elijah. I mean, imagine the brook slowly drying, and, and Elijah just looking at the thing go down, 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 and it dried up. And then the word of the Lord came. Listen, sometimes your situation changes before you have understanding why. And I, some of you in here are facing some circumstances that are very difficult in your personal life right now. People have tried to oversimplify your situation and overcomplicate your pursuit of God. And it's been very frustrating. And your situation is difficult. The brick dried up. Whatever's going on in your life, that's a brick dry up. But I just want to say today to you, I want to encourage you in this. Don't give up. Don't get mad, and don't, don't be angry at God because of something that you don't understand. You cannot abandon what you do know because of what you do not understand. Is God good? Yes, he is. Are you going to understand everything that happens in your life and the lives of those around you? No, you're not. Is God good? And you understand that. Will you understand when bad things happen to good people? No, you won't. So don't abandon what you do know God is good because of what you don't understand. When we feel like God doesn't make sense, this is where we engage trust. Not just faith, but trust. And let me just say, your next blank, if God's small enough for us to completely understand, he would not be big enough for us to completely trust. He is not so small that we will completely understand him. And he is big enough that we can trust him. He's taking care of the details. <laughs> so the brick dried up, but it's not the end of the story. And so what we see here is it's a part of a greater story that now starts to involve others. It starts to draw other people in. And many times, circumstances and situations in your life begin to change because God is starting to draw other people into that story. He's expanding the story. And if he just left you where you were, you might be happy, but you will not fulfill everything about your assignment. And, Elijah, and by the way, happy is kind of you know, relative. Uh, and so Elijah, you know, he got, oh no, this is not good. Then the word of the Lord came. And then here's where we see what takes place after that. First Kings 17, verse 9 and following. He, God gives him a word. Go at once to Zarephath. I've commanded a widow to supply you with food. So he went. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and asked, now it's a time of drought, right? And what did he say? Would you bring me a little water? It's interesting. <clears throat> By the way, uh, on the Mount Carmel, he poured water on the 
uh, on the sacrifice, and it was a lot of water. It's a time of drought. All that's very important, and the Lord will help us have wisdom to see some of what he's revealing through all that. But he called to her, and he said, bring me a little water that I may have a drink. And she was going to get the water. He called then, and he said, oh, hey, bring me a piece of bread. And she responds, as surely as this is so important, okay, all, everything I'm talking to you about comes to this. She said, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I'll explain why that's so important, but she goes on. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take it home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. How many know she was desperate? And in her desperation, she developed a perspective that I believe God wants to address within every single one of us today. <laughs> Hear this. In her desperation, she developed a perspective that when she was called on, her response was to talk about what she did not have. And I want to tell you today, God is not interested in what you do not have. God is interested in what you do have. God never uses what you do not have. God always uses what you do have. Stop focusing on what is lost and start focusing on what is left. Because what is left is what is in your hand and the love affair in your heart with some dream beyond your hand will sabotage and kill what God's put in your hand. That's the key to the dream that's in your heart. She received this word. And if our revelation never gets bigger than our environment, we will always live a life of confinement, constantly wishing we had a different life. Some people spend their whole lives wishing something different were happening to them. They, let me rephrase that. Some people waste their whole life wishing something different were happening to them. God is not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in what you do have. Give him what you do have the way he wants to have it, and he's going to enlarge your story. It's going to begin to include other people. And this widow gets a word from God, and it is profound because then the oil does not run dry. The provision in her life breaks out of e into eternal dimensions, and other people are completely transformed because God's kingdom has come. What do you have that you're neglecting because of what you're not having? And how can we take what we do have and surrender it more completely to God? Would you agree that's the question today? Because in the kingdom of God, last blank, every obstacle becomes an opportunity as soon as we get our attitude positioned correctly. Stop focusing on what you don't have. I love what Andrew Carnegie said. It's painful, but it is so good. People who are unable to motivate themselves must be content with mediocrity no matter how impressive their other talents may be. Let's take what God's given us, and let's understand faith refuses to make excuses and chooses to find a way. Where is your faith today? Because I believe God's shaking us and he's equipping us and preparing us and challenging us and taking us into greater dimensions of his perspective. 
Psalms 37, 25 says, I was young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the children begging for bread. Father, I just thank you that in the midst of every circumstance that we face, when we point our hearts and we're inclined to you, there begins to be an incredible exchange that happens in the earth. And when we encounter you, then we're able to express you. But we have to get our mind off of what we don't have and recognize you're working with what we do have. <laughs> in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. You know, I, I just want to in this moment, I want to give you your action point this week. This has got to be actionable for us. We believe God's presence is profound and amazing and wonderful, and God's presence is for real life. So every week we give this GP4RL, yeah, God's presence for real life action point. That's what that stands for. And so your action point this week is pretty simple. Every day, Every single day. Don't let a day go by. Try and do it first thing in the morning so you don't forget. You come to the latter part of the day and you're like, oh, I've got to do something. Every day, every morning, get up and think, how can I do something generous for somebody other than myself today? Isn't it interesting? The Bible says, love others. How? As you love yourself. We don't have any problem clothing ourselves. We don't have any problem feeding ourselves. We don't have any problem taking care of ourselves. Love others that way. So every day, make it a point to be generous and do something for somebody else. <laughs> and let's use what we do have to glorify God. And here's the thing. I, you know, it, this is just a healthy challenge, isn't it? Have faith in God. Jesus is not going to tell you to have something you're not going to need. And so today, what I want us to do, I think you should do this every day that you live. And it's just a, that declaration. We gather, we break bread in the Word, we worship, we break bread in the Word, we have communion, we pray together, we seek God, and just so healthy to bring all of it into this declaration together and say, I'm taking a step forward with this today. Jesus is alive, and He wants to awaken us to the purposes of God. And if you're here and you've not prayed to receive Christ, this is your moment to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here and you're just not walking with Him, this is your moment to take a step forward and make Him truly Lord of your life. If you're here and you're serving Him, let's pick up this, the pace and just accelerate, apply what God's revealed and help us to move forward in, in just a greater capacity. And let's do that in this declaration together. Let's make a declaration of the Lordship of Christ today. Join with me and let's say this together. Say, Lord Jesus. Let's declare it right in the face of the enemy. Say, Lord Jesus, you're the giver of life. You came, you lived, you died. You're risen from the grave. You are who you say you are. You're the Savior of the world, and I accept you're my Savior. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me to focus on what you've placed in my life as a resource from God that will expand God's kingdom everywhere I go, releasing God's blessing in the earth. Amen and amen. Come on, let's just thank the Lord. He's just such a good God. So patient. So loving. He's cheering us on like a good father would. 